Christmas time, it's kind of like throwing a hand grenade into your house. You've been going out a little bit more and you have a bit of that brain fog, people coming to stay with you for Christmas, family members. And you know, that that isn't always the easiest time for people. Modern medicine has done a lot for mankind. But the one thing we've all been reminded of since the pandemic began is how much there is that we don't know about the human body brown foods for white foods and um, cutting back on refined sugar and cutting back on alcohol and all of those things and removing the stress from your life. What if a lot of the answers we seek already exist within each of us and what they are discovering might explain that gut feeling that we all have from time to time. Hello, everybody. You're very welcome to That Gut Feeling. I am Jonathan Healy, presenter of this podcast series sponsored by Zenfloor, with our aim to hear from leading Irish and international experts on the growing awareness of gut health. And this final episode, and it's seasonal, is all about Christmas. The best and the worst of it. The cooking, the eating, the overindulging and the guilt that invariably follows afterwards. So how can we enjoy it while keeping ourselves healthy, sane, and stress-free. This week's guest will tell us all. She is an entrepreneur. She's a TV chef. She's a food writer with the Irish Times. She's a tutor. She's a passionate promoter of food tourism. She's wife to a busy farming husband. She's a mother to the three teenage boys. And I had no idea how she has time to do anything else. Eunice Power, you are welcome to that good feeling. Hi, Jonathan. I'm delighted to be here. How do you manage it all, by the way? I mean, reading that list, I'm tired. And that's just reading the list. Yeah, I look after my gut. <laughs> <laughs> so we know each other from from standing on the same program on telly and occasionally yeah. I get to eat your food but it's very rarely left over enough for me to eat it but food is a huge passion in your life isn't it it is yeah it's um it's something that I'm like I just spend all my time thinking about um it's it's interesting I've had my own business since um for 20 years actually my business 20 years this year and I was chatting to um, Sinead, who works in the office the other day, we were working on some vegan menus for next year. And she said, why can't you just have one standard menu? I said, because, you know, everything changes all the time. And, um, and you know, and my interest in food changes all the time and the trends change. So it's something that if you're interested in food and you're a chef and you're, uh, and you're cooking for other people, you need to stay very much up to date all the time. And that means a lot of reading and research. And always I have that feeling of never, you know, of never being good enough, you know, and trying to push myself that little bit further. But isn't that part of the pathology of being a chef that you always want to reinvent yourself? You, you don't want to stand still for fear of someone else getting an accolade that that grub was good rather than you get. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I suppose I suppose it is in a way um, that there's like the, the sense of competition for me, you know, with other kind of people in my area that that's gone. It's very much just about me and my client and what we're doing now. So I don't feel like in the early days, you're always kind of, you know, trying to be fancier than the next person. And and, you you know, you're watching your prices, you're trying to compete on every area. But for me now, really, it is about food, about simplicity and how we can best ethically produce something. So without waste, 
um, and are trying to source food that is very close to us. And then, of course, also service is a huge thing, you know, because food isn't just about eating it, but it's about it's about the whole experience surrounding it. Eunice, people will know you from being in the kitchen and they see you all the time on the telly doing that. But you're also a caterer and you're also an entrepreneur and you have a fish and chip shop, which is really gorgeous down in Dungarvan, which I've had. How do you categorise yourself in your own head? What are you? Um, A firefighter. <laughs> Fire is very bad in the kitchen, as a rule, by the way. You need to kind of stand exactly, on that. Exactly, exactly. So we, we try not to. Like, gosh, it's, um, you know, if you're looking for something like, you know, an entrepreneur, creative genius, you're not going to hear any of those things because I'm dealing with number one humans all the time, you know, like any of us in the service business. And so I would, there is a certain amount of strategy in what I do, um, a huge amount of planning, um, but it's getting it right on the night all of the time. And that that's the really big thing. Uh, this past year has been a nightmare for anybody who's been in the hospitality industry. Our, um, and, and really, it's just it's been very hard to find staff. So when you talk about the fish and chip shop or and chips, we don't just serve fish and chips. But um, to say I have a much more intimate knowledge of um, how fryers work and how to unblock them um, than I ever wanted to know is um, after this summer, it would be would be fair to say. And um, but it's been it's been great in one way because, you know, we really got to understand the nuts and bolts of, of everything that happens in there. But, um, you know, we did find ourselves that, you know, we we're working sort of all day and all night because we didn't have um, we could not find people to, to work with us last summer. So it was quite, um, you know, it's quite an adventure. Um, so there was a little bit of firefighting. I'm trying to be strategic going forward. Yeah, and, and that, uh, there's a challenge here because for you, right, you, you could have said, okay, I'm going to push my way through and I'm going to stay in one kitchen. I'm going to I'm going to do this. But you you became a caterer and I can't imagine a more stressful job. I thought chef was stressful. Caterer yeah. is way more stressful because there's a you're cooking for more. Um, let's face it, there's a lot of people out there that you're cooking for. Lots more can go wrong. You don't have control over everything. You, your job is way more stressful than a chef in a kitchen. Yeah, it is. I have a lot more balls in the air. So when you're catering and the expectation is huge. So when we're working with people, be it corporate, private, um, you know, I mean, the, the most, uh, I suppose the most stressful private event for anybody is their wedding, you know. And so really nothing can go wrong. Now, as I mentioned earlier, my background is in hotel management. I have really strong organizational skills and I work with somebody who like I have an amazing team with me Grace my front of house management with me for about I think 16 years now and so um, we're very you know we're very very organized in what we do and um, like I remember a couple of years ago we did a dinner for two and a half thousand people in the three arena and that was literally lists boxes box filling lists 
planning. I mean, beforehand, I felt as if I was getting ready for my own wedding. And there's a room in the house that was like my wedding trousseau. But actually what it involved were charts and wristbands for different staff knowing which areas they were in and signage. And it took weeks to kind of plan it and bring it together. So you need to be extremely, extremely organised. Did, did you, you miss your, could you miss your calling? Should you have gone to the army, Eunice? Because that, that's the kind of military precision you're talking about there. Two and a half thousand people. Yeah. All eagerly awaiting probably very nice food and uh, the pressure's on your shoulder to make sure it goes well. I That, that would have kept me awake for months. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did keep me awake <laughs> for months. But actually, was it, there was this, some Russian philosopher, I think, once who said that female chefs should run the country. And, um, you know, um, I don't think we need that extra stress, but I think we do a really good job because it's all about sort of having the right people in the right place at the right time at the right price, you know, and kind of getting everything, pulling it all together. Yeah, we are. We're coming up to the time of year where. Uh, people put themselves under tremendous pressure in their own kitchens, um, be it Christmas Day or Stephen's Day or New Year's Day or wherever you have people coming over to your house and you have to aim for what is probably the most perfect meal you're going to turn out all year. And the pressure's on you because everyone's looking at you. How should people take a leaf out of Eunice Power's book, Cooking for the Two and a Half Thousand, as they get ready for their Christmas dinner? Yeah, plan. It's, it's very interesting because Christmas dinner for if you're somebody who cooks all the time, you know, like and does the big roast on Sunday and cooks during the week, Christmas dinner shouldn't be that stressful for you. But the thing is now that people aren't cooking at home as much as they used to. Um, and, and so therefore it, it does become a little bit stressful. So um, again, it's your list, you know, ha- have your list. I mean, I would because Christmas is a particularly difficult time for us in the catering business. Um, we supply a shop locally um, with, you know, all the last minute kind of things that, that people like to buy for Christmas. Not last minute things. I think that, you know, food, that like food obviously can't prepare it weeks beforehand. Um, so Christmas Day for me, we would start in the kitchen here at five o'clock in the morning. So a couple of days before. Sorry, five in the morning? You get up on five Christmas Five on morning. Christmas Eve we'd start. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I, I, you've um, lost me already. I'm, I'm probably turning over at that point from my second sleep. Yeah, I know. I, I, yeah, I know. And that's just the thing is that we look into January, which can be very, very quiet for us, you know, and it's a sense, you know, just think the, the few days before Christmas are really busy. So on Christmas morning, we're rolling roulades. We could have maybe, you know, 120 roulades, 300 loaves of brown bread to make. And it's all kind of simple stuff, but it just needs to be done. And the team, we all come in at five and generally finished about 11, which which is really good. But, you know, that does leave kind of a residual exhaustion. And um, and then, of course, you know, I'm with the shoemakers, shoemakers children, have they? Uh, you know, I'm very much not last minute with my own things, but I need to face into my own house then, you know. But do, do, you, do you then feel a little bit kind of uh, as if the cheats out there. I mean, I, 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 I'd I love to serve up, serve up a Eunice Power roulade. Wouldn't that be lovely? And I'd get away with murder and everyone would say it is gorgeous. But you're, you're kind of putting food on the tables of Waterford. Are, any, are people passing it off as their own or are you getting a bit of credit at Christmas? Oh, I'm not sure. But like if they do want to pass it off as their own, leave them off. I don't mind, you know. It's like it's all about like making life easy for people and enjoying the joy. Like it's it's a really hard now. But when you go back to when, you know, when I was a young girl, 
Um, we didn't have the kind of hype around Christmas. I remember the huge excitement on Christmas Eve awaiting Santa, and there'd literally be butterflies in your tummy. Mm. But you know, we were in a busy farming house on Christmas Day, just in my house. There are animals that we don't milk at Christmas time, but animals need to be fed, horses need to be ridden out. There are lots of jobs to be done. And I am in a very kind of a male-dominated house here, so they're not a huge help to me. So I tried to kind of have myself listening, very... Kids. Yeah. Uh, well, and, you know, I think this year, actually, the, I, I don't know how many I'll even have at home for Christmas, but um, they're very, um, you know, you just need to be kind of, you know, like organized beforehand and take the pressure off yourself. But I think what happens to a lot of people is that, you know, we the, your podcast, I listened to some of them earlier, was talking about gut health and um, gut health is sort of, you know, exchanging um, the um, like brown foods for white foods and um, cutting back on refined sugar and cutting back on alcohol and all of those things and removing the stress from your life. So Christmas time, it's kind of like throwing a hand grenade into your house. You know, you've got all these things, especially for young children, you've got like extra sugar and things. Maybe you've guests around or before Christmas, you've been celebrating Christmas and you've been going out a little bit more and you have a bit of that brain fog. And then you have maybe people coming to stay with you for Christmas, family members, members and you know that that isn't always the easiest time for people you know when kind of family come down for Christmas and maybe they're you might have a mother-in-law who's criticizing what you're doing or I couldn't comment um, on that now you just don't be putting words in my mouth here right? yeah or you could have a you know a sister or a brother you don't get on with her you know they're all these an in-law they're all these kind of different things we're supposed to get uh, get on together and have the happy family Christmas so yeah it there's a lot to be considered it does and it adds to the stress and going back into the kitchen um you you talk about looking after the roulades of Waterford um on Christmas Eve on your Christmas day is that like a busman's holiday for you? Because you have to go back into the kitchen and cook your own turkey. You have to cook your own grub. Or do you get a chance to put your feet up and does anyone else do it for you? Um, well, sometimes my mum does it for me, but I love it. I absolutely love it. I love nothing more than the guys come in and they have the porridge and then they're gone off to do their jobs. Um, I set the table. I put put my turkey into the oven. I get everything ready. I'm potting around. I have everything on ready the night before, literally down to if I'm having 14 people for lunch, I'll have 14 main course plates ready to go into the bottom of the aga to be heated. I'm really, really organized. I had some nice music on in the background. I'm, I'm doing this for myself. I can relax and yeah. enjoy it. Um, my sister and my mum will come over and they'll give me a hand, you know, and no, it's a nice, enjoyable day. Yeah. I met you, I've met your mum. She's a lovely woman. And I'm glad that uh, you do put the dinner on for her, that she can relax. But do you overindulge at Christmas? Because uh, like everything else, the funny thing about someone like you, a caterer, caterers rarely stop to eat. They, they nibble and they taste, but they never actually eat a full plate from my experience. Do you then do the dog on it at Christmas? And, and as a result, do you feel the, the negative consequences of that in the days afterwards? Uh, absolutely. I overindulge. And a couple of uh, weeks ago, we did, uh, I did a podcast on Christmas pudding and we had a big two pound Christmas pudding. And myself and my mom and the photographer and Sinead who works with me, between the four of us who polished it off, we're saying, why isn't Christmas pudding like this on Christmas day? I mean, it was absolutely delicious and we felt fine afterwards because I think it's the, it's the final straw, you know, on Christmas day. But of course I do. I mean, I want to lie on the sofa and watch down to nap with my hand stuck in a box of roses and the other hand holding on to, uh, you know, a lovely glass of red wine beside the fire. 
And then after I think, and Stephen's to have that residual exhaustion, you know. But um, but as I get older, a bit more sensible, it gets easier. And uh, yeah, kind of coming into January, I always find I get the big flu, you know, because um, because I've kind of the adrenaline rush is going on for so many weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. and that that's understandable. We, we as you said, you you listened to the other episodes. The gut health thing is really growing, and people are becoming so conscious about what they're putting into their stomach because we know what you eat affects your microbiome. Um, you put an awful lot of emphasis at Christmas and through the rest of the year on as much local produce as you can. You've always done that. Was that buried in your subconscious that eating locally is better for you than buying stuff in from anywhere else? Yeah, there's a couple of, um, there's, there's a couple of elements to that. So um, yes, I grew up in Dungarvan. We always had amazing produce here. We, you bought your, you just look forward to Brussels sprouts coming in from the same people every year. Like we have an like, amazing produce here. I try and keep everything very simple, you know, in our lives as much as I can. Um, I love to buy locally. I love to be able to give money back locally. That dinner that I mentioned to you earlier that we did for two and a half thousand people, most of those ingredients came from Dungarvan. And I'm really conscious of um, of keeping the money in our local community as, as much as, you know, in as much as I can. And then, um, and you know, like obviously, you know, I'll get my carrots smart more, but I'll spice them up with something else as time goes on. We get a little bit more exotic with our ingredients. We spice them up with, uh, with, um, or we give them different treatments. But yeah, that's the way I was brought up. I was brought up to buy locally, eat locally. I buy my turkey from the same person every year. There's a new um, pork supplier in Lismore who is free range ham, so I'm going to get my ham from them. Um, before that, it was always John David Parr. And all of that's kind of part of your, your Christmas tradition, you know, where you, where you buy your food. Yeah. And and of that, like, are you still a big butter and cream kind of cook? Or is there a lot of processed stuff, processed sugars and processed things that, you know, might be on trend, but not necessarily what your mom would have put into the Christmas dinner when you were small? Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I am a kind of I'm a butter person and I love butter in the house. Not very heavy on cream. Um, I'll make nice custard. We love trifle. Um, I have three young fellas that are really health conscious. So, um, in fact, I was tidying a bedroom the other day and I found an Easter egg that hadn't been touched. I mean, that was kind of an hard up in our day. That's kind of yeah, a lint Easter egg. I'm that's looking at it myself. A lint Easter egg. That'd be classified as one of the good eggs. No, I know, I know. But we just don't, we're not kind of a sweet house, you know. And like I am, I have a really sweet tooth, but we would be very kind of clean eating. You know, we're we're all about the porridge, about um about potatoes, local veggies, kale. Um, so yeah, very, very healthy house. House. I have two guys who look after their their weight because they, they want to ride, and I have and ride, ride horses, and I have another guy who is um an athlete and he's very conscious about what he eats. Okay, so in other words, there's there's probably a lot of focus goes on to the grub and what and what goes through their mouths. What should you avoid at Christmas time? From from you you know what what is a heavy meal, what's a light meal, what works, what doesn't. What should people leave off the plate if they don't want to wake up the following day going, I'm, I, yeah. need to, I need to open the belt here? I think um, to the start of Christmas time, we've gone very, and kind of sit, you know, in the last few years, we tend to have things like smoked salmon and brown bread, have that kind of a walking around starter almost. 
Um, soup, my mom always had soup at Christmas time. I don't because I just find with turkey and ham and about eight different kinds of veg and the trifle and pudding afterwards, because we don't normally eat that heavily, you know. So um, we, we don't have, we, like I tend to keep everything much lighter. Um, the um, How about portion size? A portion size is important here because we're always told reduce the size of the portion. But at Christmas, that rule goes out the window. If you could find the biggest plate that you can, pile the stuff and pile the sprouts, pile the turkey and ham. Is that the Eunice Power Christmas? Or are you still conscious with your caterer's mind? This has to look good as opposed to being a, 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 make somebody feel as if they won't need to eat for another month. Yeah, it has to look good. Like make enough for two days. Like I don't want to cook on Stephen's Day. I want people to be able to go and, you know, pick, um, have the leftover lunch from um, from Christmas Day. And, um, and you know, and I, actually what you said earlier about chefs eating, like I w- would be very kind of rare for me to sit down at home and have like a big three course meal, you know, unless like, people look from dinner. And even at that, I, I'm always kind of mindful to keep it light. But I'm fascinated shopping at Christmas time, watching people in the supermarket buying big liters of Coke and Fanta and mm. big packets of crisps, boxes of crisps. And even yesterday I was in the supermarket, somebody commented that you should buy these like tins of roses because they're, I don't know, seven they'll be all, they'll be all, Eunice, they're all, they'll be all gone. You would be left none left. You better buy them now in September because there'll be none left on the 23rd when you go looking for them. Yeah, well, literally, I tell you what, as soon as they come into this house, they're gone out the door. <laughs> yeah, they're literally gone out the door when the boys who were in school that were sent down to primary school, they were sent back to college with them. Are you having a party? Are you going to take So do, do, do you think that these boxes are just circulating in the community? None has ever opened. They're just circulating as unwanted gifts. I know they're opened all right, because when you go into shops at Christmas time and people have... Um, have the boxes, you know, tins of chocolates there. Like we all sneak out a little chocolate. But um, I'd say there's a lot of stuff that goes around as unwanted gifts. Yeah. yeah In fact, one of my friends writes on the label of chocolates and writes on the labels of wine, you know, from so-and-so at Christmas and the day. So you can't de- You know, it. that person's a very clever person, whoever they are. We've <laughs> undergone a bit of a food revolution in the last decade. Um, and I just wonder what the impact that is on, on our national gut health, because we've brought in loads of foods from outside. So there's there's Indian influences, there's there's Asian influences, there's European influences that were never there. And God help us, there's American influences, which means that the food is terrible as a rule and, and oversized. Is there a good mix of food in Ireland right now, do you think? Yeah, there is. And actually, it's been very interesting this year because people haven't been able to get the same access to a lot of ingredients that they may necessarily have been able to get before, you know? You see, um, you know, in like it's interesting, like Marks and Spencers aren't, and they kept a lot of families fed for Christmas and they're not delivering this year to Ireland, you know, the um, the kind of ready meals and the Christmas time. Um, I think because of COVID and lockdown, people are cooking a lot more at home. They're being more thoughtful about their food. And certainly food waste is a huge um is a huge consideration for people when they're shopping. So yes, we have the, the introduction of spices. We have Ashilengi spiced up a lot of our lives. There's great Indian chefs out there. We have great access to Indian ingredients and to spice ingredients. And you know, they're, they're great because I think people are able to look in their fridge and look at what's left over and say, oh, you know what, maybe I can make something out of this. 
I didn't know they have turkey pot pie. There's only so many of them you can eat after Christmas. So let's face it, there was probably two or three before you got rid of the whole turkey, wasn't there? Yeah, it was. Um, but we do a lovely, um, actually, and I, if you've somewhere to, to post recipes, I have a lovely turkey biryani. It can be made with leftover turkey after Christmas. It's rice. It's lovely and light. Um, but I remember years ago, we used to, you know, you'd have like the turkey sandwiches, then you'd have the turkey curry, and then you'd boil up the whole turkey and you make the um, turnip soup. Because we used to always make this lovely spiced turkey and turnip soup. But um, but there are much lighter things to do. And also don't buy a huge turkey when you're ordering your turkey. Make sure it's big enough for your house. And um, when you're cooking your turkey, um, buy a probe. Like it's, you can buy really simple little probes just to check the temperature of the turkey when you're cooking mm. it. Because I find that if you're cooking um, a, a free range turkey, it actually takes a lot less time. I don't know, is the carcass light or not your wire to cook than a, um, a commercially produced turkey. Okay, so just be careful of it. My, my most stressful Christmas was one that I didn't actually get involved in, but I observed that there was uh, my wife's aunt bought this beautiful free range turkey. I mean, I'd say this was the most handsome bird that Ireland had ever produced. And she put it into um, the fridge and didn't open the bag until Christmas morning, opened the bag six o'clock. The bird nearly walked out at her. It was so bad. It had gone off at whatever point it had been left out. So on Christmas morning, they had no turkey, which caused a panic then up to the mother-in-laws had to basically plead for half of their turkey. Um, which they said, oh, we don't have, an, we don't have, we barely have enough turkey. And guess what? There was enough meat in the one turkey to feed the two households. And there was stuff left over at the end of it. It's incredible how bad we are at judging the size of a big bird. Yeah, it is. And that's kind of a very interesting story about the turkey going off because like, you know, we didn't have big fridges years ago and the turkey was left in a cool back kitchen and with global warming, et cetera, and our house has been much warmer. I wouldn't be leaving like a raw turkey out anywhere, you know, over Christmas. Um, I remember one year there was uh, the Mart in Dungarvan was on Christmas Eve and my father came home with American dressed turkeys. Are you familiar with those? Are they the ones with the, the red thing around the neck? No, they're not. The ones that haven't been cleaned out properly. They haven't been oh, okay. Out. Yeah, I think they'd have nearly caused a divorce. My mother had to <laughs> clean out the turkey, find freezer space and like, uh, he bought two or three of them because it was such good value. But yeah, of course, there's. Um, it's hard to judge like the, the size of the turkey, but I would only be going for, if you're a family of six I'd go for like you know a supermarket size kind of 10 um 10 pound turkey we've had 20 pound turkeys here over the years that have been just way too big taken way too long to cook but the problem with free range birds is that you know they are free range and you just don't know that the growers um don't know what size they're going to be you know unfortunately it is a constant game and a little good part of the stress that is christmas but you are somebody who manages it exceptionally well Eunice. it's been fabulous talking to you um pleasure as always pass our regards to your mom and do have a lovely christmas thanks so much for taking the time oh thank you jonathan it was lovely to chat to you and happy christmas to you and your little gang so that is it from this episode. Indeed, this series of That Gut Feeling, that recipe for turkey biryani is going to be in the show notes. So thank you very much to Eunice Bauer for sharing. It's been a fascinating conversation to talk about the awareness and the importance of gut health throughout this series, sponsored by Alpharex. My thanks to Eunice Bauer for joining me. Don't forget, you can listen back to all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or wherever you get that podcast from. Join us next time for more on that gut feeling.